0: It pisses me off, to be frank. I don't know if you could tell. We but, can't tell.
1: No. Lay
0: I, I it on a little I bit just, thicker if you can. These, uh, yeah, whatever.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, it's another jam-packed bourbon community roundtable, and we discuss some of the latest trends and topics that have been happening over the past few weeks. And one of the greatest pieces of whiskey news is that tariffs are now being eliminated. However, this is going to start opening up some international commerce once again, and for bourbon, we're going to take a stab at some theories on what moves we expect some distilleries to start making in 2022. And now there's always bottle releases that get all the attention. You know, the antique collection, Four Rose's limited edition small batch. But after a solid year of bourbon releases, we give our takes on some bottles that maybe should have gotten a little bit more attention. And lastly, the market is the market. And we all know that stores are beginning to price their prized allocated bottles close to secondary. Well, if you've been a longtime customer of that particular retailer, and they start switching their prices to start being closer in line with secondary, are you going to stay with them, or are you going to switch to a new store? With that, enjoy today's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char.
0: I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from fellow Army veteran, Airborne veteran, that is, Sean D. Well. He writes on Fredminick.com for the service members or veterans, most of whom who have bought or buy all the Class 6 or comparable Navy, Air Force, or Coast Guard liquor dispensaries, what bourbons would you pair with the top two MREs? Ugh. First of all, uh, reminding me of the MREs, better known as uh, Meal Ready to Eat, um that brought back a lot of memories, a lot of memories. Um, first of all, you eat one of those things and you may not go to the bathroom for a month. That's, that's a legit, legit concern eating MRE. So hopefully you're getting in your roughage, uh, elsewhere, but whoo, man, they're designed to make sure that, uh, you don't gotta go. Um, and you know, you always get the little cute little tabasco. I, I miss that I, miss, I I mean, that's where I fell in love with Tabasco and hot sauces. anyway, there's really not a whole lot to pair out of those things, but there is one little uh little dish. I always got so excited when I opened up the MRE. I think it always came in like uh, my chicken dishes, and it was uh it was the brownie. I mean, the brownie was legitimately good, uh, and then there was like that uh that little vanilla cake had like some, like an orange to it. So I will, I will call out the brownie and I will call out that little orange cake. God, I can't remember what it was called. Um, but it was really good. So with the brownie, I'm going with Woodford reserve double Oak all day long. So bring that in your pack. You know, when you're camping out, no, you're not camping out. You're hiding under the stars on a, on a, on a bivouac or you know, out in the desert or something. I mean, hell, who knows where you're at right now, Sean, but if you can sneak in a little bourbon there and there, here and there, good for you. Like you can pull it off, do it. Uh, but so I'm going to do Wood uh, Woodford Reserve double oak with the brownie and the MRE. And then with that vanilla orange cake, I can't remember the damn name of it. I suppose I could Google it, but that would require me turning off my recorder right now and going to the Google. You know what? I'm going to do that. Hold on. Let me Google. All right. I went to the Google I went to the Google, everybody, and it's the pound cake. There's like this, it's like a, uh, it's like orange vanilla pound cake. And it's really good. They actually, they sell, it looks like they sell these on Amazon. Like you can buy the pound cake uh, on Amazon. Uh, But that was really, really good. Like I look forward to those. Uh, And I would say, I would probably pair... toasted, like a mictor's toasted. So here I am, I'm pairing two things that are additional barrel finish, just a little touch of bitterness in there. Um, you know, some, some, some astringency to go along with, with that meal. And, and to be honest with you, you know, if you can drink anything with them, it'll probably help the digestive system. It's the truth. Anybody who, uh, who was in the military, you know what I'm talking about. That's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you want to be like uh, airborne Sean D. Well, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Just click contact and let me know uh, what question you have. And if I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back
1: again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink Barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome, everybody. We are back with Bourbon Community Roundtable number 63, the last one that we're doing for 2021, and we have got a good array of topics that we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be talking about some stuff that maybe some bottles that happened this past year, maybe a few little events. We'll kind of talk about um, you know, some other things as well. It's a little bit more cultural. I I think I, I end up finding some of the best topics and ideas when I just randomly scroll through Facebook and I see something on the bourboner Facebook group, and it has 150 comments next to it. And it's not like What's wrong with Blanton's today? But it's actually something that sparks some conversation. So it's it's going to be good to kind of get into this. But Fred, I'm glad to see you're back. Uh, Ryan, as well. It's like, Fred, you, it's mm-hmm. been a minute. We missed you here.
0: Yeah, I've missed uh, a few. I've either been traveling. Um, actually, it's always been traveling. Or like I think one time we had a sick kid. But, you know, it's good to be back. I'm excited to be here. I got my Santa hat on. I'm excited about the holidays. Just, just this is my favorite time of year. I just love this time of year.
1: Now, do you love it because it's uh, good eating or good bourbon hunting?
0: A uh, little bit of both. Um, you know, you get, you know, it's weird right now with the bourbon hunting situation, but uh, I'll tell you, I've I've found some nice little, uh, uh, nice little gyms and stores. And people are, people always give me business when they see me shop. Like, oh, I didn't know you bought bourbon. Like, yeah, well, fuck you. You know, of course <laughs> I go and buy bourbon. Uh, but yeah, I mean. You know, it's been it's it's been an incredible you know start to the holiday season for me personally.
2: Now you know not to approach Fred in the liquor store; you get cursed at. <laughs> well, that that or he's going to take the bottle that was maybe allocated for you. Who
1: knows? Yeah. That's right.
2: <laughs> Give me that Buffalo Trace.
1: <laughs> uh uh-uh, Only Blantons. Just kidding. that's right. Just kidding. Only Blantons. Some Stag without the Junior on it. Whatever it is, you'll be the first one to get it. That's how it is. But. Let's go ahead and take an opportunity to introduce the rest of the roundtable here. We've got the full crew tonight, so I'll go with who's ever below me first starting off here. So Brian from Sippin' Corn.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me on number 63. This is an exciting one, approaching uh, Repeal Day, and uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, Brian with Sippin' Corn, find me there, and Bourbon Justice.
1: We didn't even mention that. This is the Repeal Day special. That's the greatest thing
3: about this. I'm glad we're able to have everybody here and kind
1: of talk about this on Repeal Day and and give people a little bit of an insight into what we talk about as a part of Pursuit, Urban Pursuit podcast, and be able to bring on uh, these varied mix of people down here that can provide lots of good intel and ins- inside sort of information and good opinions on everything that's happening. But uh, Ryan, I know you're you're eager to say something here.
2: Yeah, I mean, when they repeal day happened, who would have thought? You know, how many years it's been that we'd be on a podcast talking about repeal day? So I bet they never thought that when that when the law went away or whatever. So uh, no, it's pretty cool that we get to do this. You think they would have thought of having the internet and, and thinking of streaming video back then? No, just Morse code. Like, Fred, what's your pick of the year? Did dot, 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 dash, dash, dash. Dot.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny. If you go back to this time frame. you know, 1933, uh, when prohibition was repealed, you know, radio was, you know, was fairly... You know, new to most people, uh, the automobile, not everybody had one. You know, I don't think Alaska was a state yet. Um, you know, Hawaii wasn't, I mean, it was a very different time frame. Yeah. No and bourbon or Facebook group. Yeah. But I think they, I think they could have fathomed this because the science fiction writers of that time had very, uh, vivid imaginations. They, They were off on a few things, but uh, sometimes they they, they nailed it. I mean, they had a good pulse on uh, on on mankind.
4: I don't know if anybody predicted the bourbon or Facebook group. That's kind of, you know, that's a little too sci-fi, even for (laughs) sci-fi. It's out there. Go ahead, Blake. Introduce yourself. Yep, guys. Thanks again. Always fun to be here. Even more fun when it's you know celebrating repeal day. Obviously, a a, a big contributing factor to what we do today. So uh, I'm Blake from Bourboner and Sealbox. You can find me on all the socials um, or online at sealbox.com.
1: That's S E E L B A C H S. Thanks. It's just a a little contributing factor. I mean, if if it wasn't, this be like speakeasy pursuit. That's what it ended up.
4: We being. wouldn't be broadcasting it live on the internet. I am <laughs> guessing. That's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> We'd
3: be it's on the secret. dark web. Have a, a mask mask on, on Discord it, or something.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Decoding <laughs> our voices. <laughs> yeah, somebody put the filters on the voices then. And Jordan, wrap us up there.
5: Thanks for having us, guys. So, this is Jordan, one of the three guys from Breaking Bourbon. You can find us uh, at com. We're your source when you're in the liquor store trying to decide what bourbon to buy.
1: You know, and before we kind of dive into this, I also kind of want to take a moment to kind of reminisce on a, a good memory. I think that most of us have shared, minus, minus one person here in Santa Hat, was actually tasting something from pre prohibition times that Brian actually brought over. And, you know, I think that. Was, uh, it was a real treat when we were able to do that. It was a round table recorded after Bourbon and Beyond, uh, episode one, I guess you could call it, way back when. But that also kind of goes back to even thinking, I mean, other than that, have you all tried, I know Fred has, have you all tried any other kind of Prohibition era whiskeys since then?
3: I actually had one today. After, after my long mediation, the uh, attorney on the other side broke out something that he bought he said five years ago at an auction, and it was one of those. Um, I, I got to pull up the picture. I had, it was a Wathen brand, so AMS, but it had one of those names on it that I that I didn't recognize. Good, good fill level on it. Those uh, those special old reserves that come in those green boxes, and uh, it it hadn't turned, and it had that oakiness and that creaminess that you you just don't find anymore. So that one worked out, but they're they're all hit and miss. It's risky when you do it.
4: Fred, what was that bottle that got cracked at the uh Speed Art Museum a couple of years ago? Was that a old overhaul from like 1903?
0: Uh yeah, so that was an overhaul that was um a, a part of the part of an estate that was connected to the owner of of old overholt and um they would uh they gifted um this gentleman instead of taking uh equity uh in a in a when they were buying out instead of taking his equity out and money he took it out in like bottles and so they got uh he had an enormous amount of uh of bottles so that's why you see a lot of these old overhaul or I'll just say overholt. and it'll be nineteen oh whatever and those were you know made specifically for the for the Mellon family. So um yeah those those pre prohibition bottles they are always really good, but they were also faked very regularly in, in that time, especially for prohibition. And I, I caution people all the time about, about drinking them because bootleggers would actually pee in bottles, you know, just in case, you know, they would get one that was pulled off the rack by a cop or something. And, and then there were those who would use like sulfuric acid uh, to add on. Them. I mean, the people died all the time of, of, drinking bad bootlegged gin or whiskey and so it's a cautionary tale i mean it is hit and miss and you gotta is if you can trace it back to the original owner the best you can that's that's always preferred the best way to do that if anyone's like listening look for look for some kind of like governmental um something from the government that you can connect it to but those pre prohibition whiskeys, my favorites, my absolute favorites from from that time are the Pennsylvania Rise. Those Pennsylvania Rise taste nothing like the Rise today, the big uh, the big herbal rise coming out of Indiana. They would just they would fall flat on their face up against these beautiful Pennsylvania Rise from prior to Prohibition. So now you know hmm. if it has just a little hint of asparagus, probably stay
2: away from it. Yeah, I had some. I've had some blended whiskeys, some Seagrams, and pre-Prohibition. And now that Fred said people pissed in them, I'm pretty (laughs) sure uh, that's what I tasted (laughs) now. Because it tasted like piss. (laughs) All right, next topic.
1: Let's go (laughs) ahead. Let's dive in with it now. So now that the tariffs have been removed from the European Union, I want to kind of put it out to you. What are some theories? What moves do you expect some distilleries to start making next year in 2022? Huh.
2: It's already started. I mean, hell, you know, Heaven Hill, Bardstown Bourbon, well, it's they've all bought secondary, more farms to build more warehouses. They're already going to do fifty percent more or some hundred percent more, you know, capacity. They're they're all, they were doing this anyways because uh they still can't just meet the demand domestically, but now that the
5: tariffs have opened, it just makes them feel better about it. So they're moving onward and upward. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, Buffalo Trace, look at them putting in the the new still throwing in God, how many warehouses up on the farmland, they are just ramping up. And, uh, you know, we're gonna see a lot of other distilleries start doing the same thing, either ramping up or deciding just to take a large allocation of their domestic product and start capturing some of the global market again.
4: Yeah, that's I I think it's it's actually huge for all level of producers. One, because, you know, I think it was Brown Forman. They came out and just talked about the amount of money that they'd lose on Jack Daniels sales because of the tariffs. And it's huge numbers. But also, I mean, you're opening up a market to millions of people for some of these small brands who, you know, maybe they have a harder time catching on uh, in their own backyard. Sometimes, um, they can go over to the, you know, the European market and the fact that they're an American whiskey, they're, they're craft, they're small producer, and it tastes good. Um, I think that's huge for them. So really, I think it's a win all around. Um, but I I still think we'll see more of a push of the, you know, the 20 to $30 bottle that was who was affected most by it. Some of those higher price bottles, they can they can eat a little bit of that. You know, it eats into their margin for sure. But all in all, I think it's it's a great win and I'm excited to see some of the, you know, craft brands I love popping up over in European Instagram and all that because the people over there can
1: now get it. Blake, I'll kind of I'll pose this question to you a little bit because honestly, it, it almost seems like a weird business decision to say, all right. We can't sell our whiskey here in America. So let's go ahead. Let's take it overseas and we'll try to sell it there. I I don't know. For me, I just, I find that to be a tough pill to swallow to say, like, if we can't find the right market here, who's to say that Finland is the right place? Yeah, I mean, you know,
4: not that everything needs to go back to an office quote, but uh, what was the one where Ryan's talking about Pam? He's like, yeah, she's a Scranton 8, but like a New York 6 or something. (laughs) It's kind of the same deal, to be honest. You know, when you have less choices out there, um, you're going to stand out more. So if you do a better job of connecting and let's be honest, it's a crowded space. We can all walk into we all live different places. Um, well, some of us, and we can walk into the, you know, liquor store, supermarket, wherever it is, and there's a shelf stacked with different bourbon options, and it's harder to stick out. Um, whereas when they go into the European market, it's more like those shelves were in, you know, say, two thousand eight to two thousand ten or so, where there's far less choices far less things, uh, for other people to grab instead of it. If they want American whiskey, um, it's just a better opportunity to stand out on the shelf.
0: So here's the funny thing about this, like overseas, there's not really, there's not a defined understanding or palette for American whiskey. I mean, in comparison to the United States, um, there's almost no understanding, So you could be an absolute shelf turd here in the United States, go over there with your over oakness, with your, your, uh, your moldy grain and your like inferior smoking technique and, and stand out and, and someone in France, uh, uh, or Germany, you know, may, may find some beautiful qualities in them. Uh, so that's, I mean, I think, there are some like really good business strategies, uh, to approach, uh, overseas, but in terms of like, what is going to, wh- what I think is interesting. And I've talked to, um, I've talked to a lot of people about this, what the whiskey tariffs did, they did something, uh, as similar as what we'd saw, you know, with the prior to bot- the bottle and bond act where the distillers work together to get that act in place. They did something uh, similar as they did to get, you know, prohibition repealed. And as they did to bond together over world War II with making industrial alcohol, they basically the whiskey tariffs basically forced all of the lobbies to work together. And they came out of this. They came out of this whole ordeal as one of the, not the most powerful, but one of the most strategic and uh, uniquely able to reach any politician, lobbying groups that there is out there. Like if somebody wants to take, you know, if if someone from the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States or the Kentucky Distillers Association is calling, you know, there's a there's a congressman or senator who's more eager to take that meeting than say a, a utilities lobbyist. you know. So what came out of this is you see a lot of strength in the distilled spirits industry from the lobbying perspective. And that they're not putting that muscle into the federal government, they're doing it at the state governments. What you will see in 2022, you will see a, a very aggressive effort in Kentucky to do things like repeal the ad valorem tax Uh, You will see states try to open up uh, direct-to-consumer shipping. Uh, You will see states that have really strict blue laws come in, not with just the muscle of of their state distillation associations, but from the federal backing at that level from discus. I think what you might see here is that the whiskey tariffs actually transformed the way that the industry communicates to government officials. And they got their shit together, and they're coming for every law that's hindering them in the business. And that includes the three-tier system. So I, I think 2022 is the beginning of an enormous shakeup uh, at the state level across the country.
2: I sure hope you're right. I I, I want to be on board with that, but I think this is just a part of, you know, biting, undoing everything that Trump's done, and Bourbon just has to be, happens to be a part of it. But I hope you're right in that sense that this is going to move things, the ball forward in other other senses. But I think it's just kind of whiskey. Was it bourbon was attached to, you know, those Trump tariffs and whatnot. And Biden's undoing everything Trump's doing. And this is a nice byproduct of it.
3: I I I agree with both of those. I think it's I think it's happening. It was already starting. The the ball was already in motion and I and I think this is going to help it. When I was thinking of what's going to happen in 2022, I thought of two acronyms, DTC and RTD. So I'm with you Fred on the direct to consumer shipping that's going to be a good thing for the for the industry and it's going to help tear down another brick of the three-tier system. And then the ready-to-drinks. I think that's going to be the the, i mean it's already starting i think it's going to be the next big boom i think it's going to start replacing the flavored whiskeys we've already seen fireball uh falling down it's not what it once was and wild turkeys had so much success on ready to drinks i think the other distilleries are going to start following on in those footsteps
0: and let's face it ready to drink products are really good uh I, I mean there's a product coming out of new york called symphony that i drink on, on you know when i want to kind of you know, relax and it's cold. But I I think that when you look at like the the three tier system, the the wholesalers are not going away and they've got a very powerful argument every single time. So as long as there is a largely three tier compliant as it is within the system, you know, they will argue it's drizzly as long as that, you know, as long as that, that can be weaved in. I think that's going to be a comfortable thing for the industry, but until, you know the distillers and wholesalers can agree on what is shipping to a consumer. I don't know if we're ever going to get anywhere. I mean, it's probably going to be something as as uh, ridiculous as a distiller buys the uh, product directly from a wholesaler to make sure that it's going to be sold to someone who's twenty one. I don't know, but there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, friction there, and that part's not going to go away. And the wholesalers are very powerful. Uh, they're very vocal. And, you know, the fact is, is they do enter in the presidential elections. You know, when Bernie Sanders uh, uh, emails got hacked, you know, they came up um, in the discussions. So they're they're not a force to, you know, to deny. And they've got a lot of great points. And uh, I I just think candidly, the the shipment to consumers is all is never going to be what we want it. But it's slowly happening. And I think next year, you're going to see the force of the the distillers and the wholesalers. They're going to find a way to meet in the middle in some places. In other places, they're just going to be in an all-out war.
1: Fred, I'll have one more question for you there. Um, And I also want to kind of add something to this, too, is that do you think that with the tariffs going away, that European Union could actually make it more advantageous for... We just and more of an advantage for American distillers to actually ship their product over there than it is to sit there and deal with everything that's in the three tier system over here today, and we could potentially just see some brands just go straight overseas, not even mess with going to America.
0: So we're we're talking about the European Union and not and not the United Kingdom at at this point, right?
1: correct? Because the Brexit yeah. and all that sort of stuff.
0: So, I, I think there could be a little uh, an interesting play there from the European Union. I do. But I, I think the demand for American whiskey, uh, outside of maybe Germany, for you know in, in that in Europe is United Kingdom, and and I think that's that's where the 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 growth is and where people are excited about it. I think I think it's a bit a little harder sell in a lot of places, but never underestimate the power of a, of the American soldier to be a fine brand ambassador wherever there are bases. And there are a lot of bases in Germany and believe me, believe me that they're also in Italy and wherever the bases are, the whiskey goes and you can see it kind of spreading out through that way. So I I think, you know, I mean, I think there could be some, some cool strategies there to play, but um, I don't think anyone's getting, uh, you know, lining up to create new, uh, new special, deals or what you like to talk about the penny packer bottling over there to you know ship back here. So uh, I, it, I don't know. I don't think so.
5: Jordan,
1: did you have something to kind of put in there as well?
5: No, you know, going back to what, what Fred was saying about this was taking a step back with the distilleries. Um, I think what's really going to be interesting is if the post office falls and they're pushing hard, if they open up the floodgates to, to allow shipping, you're going to see everyone band together and figure out a way to make this work. And we're going to see a lot more, that three-tier system actually working together to get that product out to consumers everywhere. That's going to be a huge domino. That's probably going to fall in 2022.
0: I so. agree. I mean, Southern glaziers could set up a hub, uh, within, within the USPS, you know, I mean, I don't care how it happens. I just think there's a way it can happen. I mean, hell they could put, they could put a driver with, uh, they can have only, uh, an alcohol driver in every, in every state to do the deliveries. You know? I mean, it, there are ways to make it work, but everyone's always just trying to protect, you know, their turf. Never underestimate that. They're trying to keep jobs on the table. They're trying to do what they think is right. Um, and we're getting closer to a solution, but um, we're, and Blake, we're not Blake's there. all like, hold on, hold on. The whole DC thing's working out pretty well now. Let's, let's not go yeah, too far. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> Blake's got a great model, though. He's doing everything right. You know, Sealbox is doing everything right. So I don't think that's what anyone, I don't think anyone's uh, attacking that model.
4: Thank you, Fred. We'll uh, take that quote and put it on your face, and we're going to send it out to everyone.
0: <laughs> no, but I
4: mean, you're you're right, Fred. I think at this point, everybody everybody just wants to see it happen, and I don't I don't care exactly how it has to look. We'll work within those guidelines, but let's let's open this thing up at this point. Um, I think we've kind of veered off the the tariff talk, but. Um, I'm with you. You, you know, I'm, my FedEx guy started asking for my license and he'll scan it every time I get a package now. So I think there's just stuff like that, that is pretty low hanging fruit to ensure that uh, underage people aren't getting boxes and yeah, let's, let's go from there
2: for sure. I, I'll uh, so, go ahead, Ryan. Well, I was going to bring it back to the tariff um, and the concern about, you know, LE's limited editions and whatnot. I, I, I wasn't concerned, but then I read an article that was in Mark Brown's newsletter this morning, you know, talking about the UK and how, you know, like quality American whiskey is still such a better value than scotch. And, you know, talking about like, you know, the Pappy Van Winkle's, the Mictors and all that, and how much value it is, even the most premium ones. And so I, I could see, you know, maybe these American companies saying, Hey, let's go over there, you know, and you know, with our limited release stuff and, expose the american whiskey you know in those premium markets uh that would be one concern as a whiskey enthusiast here um while we're already pinched already on these age, aged uh stocks you know uh hell maybe that's why stag didn't enter they knew the tariff was coming they're all going to europe next year <laughs> 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 I, call, I, call I it I, early
0: i you know I, you bring up a really good point and and then i, I don't I don't know how many distillers because of the tariffs are going to shift their domestic strategies simply because of of uh, like nobody enjoyed the the tariffs. Nobody enjoyed it. And I don't want to say they're sour, but what happened domestically and look, I, I'm on the hook as much as anybody for talking about how tariffs have potential to bring bourbon down. I mean, I wrote that in my book, Bourbon. and I wrote that in the New York Times. So I'm definitely on the hook for saying that that didn't happen. You know, some brands were hurt and a lot of uh, smaller brands lost a a very vital part of their strategy, but domestic growth, especially at the retail level, really came in and went after... um, new brands, and high-level brands. Were they going after Jim Beam White Label? No. You know, maybe uh, Evan Williams uh, Black Label. But uh, for the most part, I just, I just think that the, the tariffs going away is a big play and a big win for Jack Daniels and maybe a handful of other brands. For everybody else, business as usual.
1: I'll throw one more scenario out there and then we'll kind of move on. And that's looking at to say, well, now that we have another piece of the world that gets opened up and you have companies like Diageo and Pernod Ricard and Remy Contro that know how to work international sales, like that is a good opportunity for them to buy somebody that is not not necessarily struggling domestically, but has some excess capacity that they can then start really pushing out to a a global market and, and that could be a potential acquisition target for somebody here in the relative near future too.
2: Good luck finding somebody with excess capacity right now. I don't know of anyone. I'm just saying. There's, there's somebody say, that has extra bottles around.
0: Yeah, yeah. There, there's um, got to be a position. Breaking talk. news! I just got a, I just got some inside information that Pursuit United is changing every, all of their efforts to. We're uh, just to check convert Europe. to seven hundred a mil. All
1: right, let's go ahead. Let's keep moving here. Let's let's talk about some bourbon release stuff. the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. let's talk about some bourbon release stuff so we had a pretty good year of, of bourbon releases i feel like you know other than not seeing our, our good friend george t Stagg this year overall i thought there was a lot of good bourbon releases however i kind of want to put a question out to you all is that not to say the best bourbon release a lot of the limited editions they all get the spotlight and let's kind of talk about these a little bit was there a bottle release that you felt that came out that was really good and has just flown under the radar, and now we're going to give it the attention that it deserves.
3: Yeah, let, let, let me jump on this one, because it's the redheaded stepchild, literally. The the makers, FAE 1 and 2, haven't gotten the love that they deserve. Um, they're doing some really remarkable, uh, I think, in, ingenious things with these different staves and these different techniques that they're doing. I don't still don't know why they'd call it fatty acid esters, but... I mean for, for
1: how good they are at marketing, you think they whiffed yeah, on that one.
3: That's, they, they, they whiffed on FAE, but um and the esters aren't even because of that process. It's hold all, it's on all now. I am here
0: to defend fatty acid esters as a rum Bring it. Bring it. That is that is spirit's language, baby. That's basically telling me to you know how it's gonna hit my palate, how it feels. Come on now. I'll be hating on fatty acid esters.
3: It didn't change because they cooked with infrared light on a stave. I mean, it's, it's, it's good stuff they're doing. But, but regardless, they whiffed on the name. But man, those fell under the radar. Uh, th- those are things um, people really ought to be paying attention to instead of some of the chasing that they're doing. Those are really good. I agree, Brian.
1: They are good. Do you think it might have been, again, back to a marketing thing? as a, as a normal everyday consumer, you see maker's mark and you see the red wax, you're like, okay. And then you see FAE 01. Are you thinking, is this some kind of science experiment? Am I, am I supposed to like this? I mean, it literally says wood finishing series. Like you don't really know what you're getting into.
3: Yeah. I think that's part of it. I mean, they, uh, of all of the, the the people who know how to market it's, it's makers, but they didn't really, I mean, they call it a limited edition, but they didn't, Really market it like a limited edition you got the spring and you in the fall like four roses used to do with a single barrel and small batch but it's it just really didn't get the hype and i I don't have the answer for why maybe it was because they thought it was an experiment but did anybody here watch true blood did no, not no i never uh, watched true
2: blood huh, sorry
3: we, we on once head. again we
2: don't have as much time as you Fred. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh so there was uh there was a species called fey and that's what i thought it was when i when i first saw that i <sighs> thought this was an ode to tr- the true blood series See? but then you know of course you get it and you taste it it's like it's fantastic yeah all right so that's mine all right i'll, I'll go with one next
1: i thought one that kind of really helped pushed the mold a little bit, made something a little bit new, new and unique this year was Chattanooga's Bottled and Bond. I thought they came out with a really good release. They also tried to do something that's different in regards of breaking the mold of like, what is a Bottled and Bond? I mean, we all know, you know, at least four years old, at least 100 proof, but one distilling season. However, they did all that but with different mash bills, and they blended it all together, and they really took a different approach to really what the bottled and bond category was. I thought overall, in general, it didn't taste like their ninety-one uh, or their one eleven, which is usually a super malty, super chocolatey. This was a little more fruit forward, uh, a little more like honey and stuff like that. Some of those lighter flavor notes that I really enjoyed. I I thought that was one that kind of ran under the radar for most people. I think Blake probably knows best if he's actually sitting on Summit Seal Box. Probably not anymore, but I felt like that was one that just probably didn't have a a ton of hype behind it. But the good thing is, is that they're going to have a lot of continual bottle and bond releases from here on out. And they're all going to take that, well, that same formula, but the variation on the formula. So kind of taking all these different mash bills, but creating some sort of new blend in uh, multiple times per year.
4: Yeah, I don't know about Kenny jumping in and uh, stealing my answer there, but <laughs> <laughs> did, did I? Yes, finally, I did it. It to was somebody definitely else. in there. You know, I feel like I had to give a nod to the craft crowd, but I'll, I'll second that. I, you know, Chattanooga had an incredible bottled and bond release. Um, uh, man, it's 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 hard to say underrated at this time, but actually, another one that pops to mind that we we're kind of talking pre-show is the O.H. Ingram, their flagship bourbon. You know, I, I think we kind of all, um, you know, looked at it at first was like, OK, what are they really doing? It's it's aged on, you know, barges on the Ohio River and then you, you taste it and it's really good. The story makes sense um, and it it definitely gets some attention, but definitely one that is still out there floating around and uh, I think is worth the purchase. Um, so I'll, I'll throw that out there. There's been some other ones, but it's it's kind of hard to say, you know what's our level of Instagram posts that it gets before we call it uh, underrated? What's the, uh
1: like, what was the specs on that one? What, what did they do that made it so great? Just kind of fill everybody in here.
4: Yeah. Um, oh man, put me on the spot. So it, it's before the first release they did was actually a blend of bourbon and rye. So they called it a, a blend of straight whiskeys or, or something. Then they did a rye release. So this was just their straight bourbon. So it's, it's aged, I think think it's almost two years on the barge. So it's MGP, you know, they're pretty transparent about all that. And then it spends two years floating on the water. Um, they essentially built a rick house on the water and, you know, with the, the moving, uh, I guess not tides, but just the, the movement of the river up and down it's aging and um, causes that barrel interaction.
2: So.
0: That was going to be my pick. Like so you uh, uh, well, I'm glad I got to it first. You did, well, you
2: did yeah. as uh, uh, Kenny did to you. It's like I was a going white, to it's skin- like white elephant, but for bourbon yeah. picking right now. Everybody's just, yeah, right, hey, now you take, Jordan. you take Jordan's pick. Now, Fred.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say Jefferson's cognac finish rye, but that's a rye. I just, I'm really hot on that one, and I know you know, no, I
1: think I'm it's solid. It that was that's a good one. I remember trying yeah. that one too, and I thought they did a really good job with that. I, lo- I love that
0: one. in a cognac barrel, I think is a is is an aggressive barrel to use against a rye so if i'm going to like skirt out a little bit from from the bourbon and go to a rye i'm going with the jefferson's uh cognac finish
1: no i thought it was pretty solid we did a whiskey quickie on that one i thought it was it was really good i thought it was well balanced for for what it was and i think we've seen a huge influx of cognac finished bourbons and whiskey just whiskeys in general I believe this year and I think we're probably going to see more in years to come. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I thought Joseph Magnus might've pioneered that one a little bit. They, they seem like they've been doing that for a few years now of kind of doing the, the cognac finish on, on a lot of theirs.
2: Nancy Fraley
4: was definitely ahead of the curve on that one.
1: Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of
4: anybody else who may have had one. Well, didn't beam have one like, or no, that was pork.
0: Bellamide had, yeah. had a real nice cognac finish. I mean, they, they they've been uh, out there. Beam had a cognac finish in the late '90s, and it's just a, you know, you're not, you're you're what you're seeing here is you're seeing a barrel that is closely created to the specs of a bourbon barrel, but has been aging uh, a, a brandy. And It's very they're very they're very complementary. However you know, people just assume like sweet on sweet is going to work, but those cognac barrels have more tannic acid than, than the American oak that's being used uh, in, in bourbon barrels. And it just, it can break apart, you know, some of the softer uh, notes in bourbon. So I, I think Trey Zoller, did something really right with rye. I, I think rye is, I, I think that could be the perfect, uh, whiskey to put in a cognac barrel. And I, I I get really excited about Armagnac barrels. There's a lot of people aging in Armagnac. So I can't I can't wait. Um the next five years for barrel finishes, I think they're also going to clean up the definitions and terminology. That's a whole another episode. But I think that's going to happen at the federal government here very soon. But um the the barrels that are coming online for these distillers, watch out. There's going to be a whole lot of new flavor profiles come out.
3: That's going to be exciting and yeah. and w- one thing, just one point on what Fred said about the the softer notes and the rye being more more appropriate for that. I remember a heaven Hill select stock that was a a, a barrel proof so that little squatty bottle and it was cognac f- finished and it 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 fought each other the the sweet flavors just of that softer wheat really fought each other, so I haven't had that rye, but I totally see what you're saying
1: yeah, and I also don't want to be remiss to also mention that. That rye release, I think it was their Jefferson's first rye that they've done now in eight years. Ever since they got that rid of that Jefferson's presidential, like the you know the side profile on the bottle, I think it's their first rye release in a long, long time, if I remember the press release correctly.
5: But all right, who's next? So I'm gonna I'm gonna tack on to Fred's veering off the rye a little bit. I'm gonna do the same. So I'm actually gonna give a bottle and I'm gonna give a brand because I was thinking about this one. So bottle that flew under the radar. I think that I found excellent this year i think it missed a lot of good press was um leopold bros three chambers rye so i think what they did there was Great just one. amazing right so they literally found old old federal documents rebuilt a three chamber of still that, that hadn't been seen in 100 years used a different type of rye grain and this is just a creamy delicious rye it, you can still go and find it out there the first edition still out there it's just fantastic Right, it's it's something that's not your traditional rye, tastes really really good, um, flew under the radar for a lot of folks. And then I think a brand that not a lot of people talk about, but is solidly good, and shouldn't come as no surprise, but Stellum, right from the creators of um, Barrelcraft Spirits, Stellum Bourbon and Stellum Rye, they're just solid, um, easily to easy to find, easily approachable in terms of price for the wallet. And I, I don't think they're getting the attention that people should be giving them because they're both two really good products. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, we, we've we seen them now quite a lot out in
1: the market and they've also started their own single barrel picks of, of Stellum. So I think you're going to start seeing a lot more of that happen. It's one of those things that you kind of start with a, a different brand, which I don't know, for them, it, it was it was very interesting to kind of see how barrel went off and kind of create they because they've been known for creating barrel-proof blends and kind of putting it out there. And now they're creating... I it's technically another barrel proof blend. Right. And, but they have a different name. So
2: there's a, there's a, there's a little bit different story. So it's interesting yeah. to kind of see how they sort of put this little fork in the road. Yeah. Maybe it'll be some more consistent, you know, instead of the, the big variations with the different batches. Exactly. But, and I think yeah. it's, it's going to yeah. be a forever changing product, but yeah, yeah,
0: it was all about price point. I mean, they had to, they had to create something that was under that $80, $90 price point. And, everybody who's getting in the game is, is trying to create that $50 price point or below. And, and I gotta, I, you know, this is off topic here, but I, I don't know how people do it. Like when you're buying barrels uh, from other sources and buying the glass and everything, I mean, everything's like 20% more than if you own your distillery. And so like, you know what you two have done, you know, Kenny and Ryan is, to me like keeping that price down is really it, it, it's really to be commended because i know those margins are probably laser thin no big news prices are going up next year for everybody <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding we're not nah, doing
1: that we, we we tried to we are trying to eat as much cost as we can and take care of uh
2: freight costs when glass prices go up and all that sort of stuff it's part of just doing business that's right yeah i'm gonna go on a limb and say Pursuit United was my vert. I would know, say, so. oh, no, no I mean, I'm kidding. Has to be, has but, to be, but, but Kenny Blake, everyone still my chat. So I went with this two ways. I went, all right, who's on the craft side and who's on the big brand side. Uh, the craft side, I was Chattanooga, but another brand was still Austin for, uh, two, you know, a t- I was scrolling through our whiskey quickies earlier when you asked us And I was like, man, I forgot how good that was. And it's like two year old whiskey. And, uh, I didn't like the cask uh, strength version as much, but the one that was like 90 proof was really good, really balanced, had some great flavors in there for a two year whiskey. And then, man, I was really impressed with uh, the Booker's Tagalong batch this year. It was usually Booker's, you know, I'm like, they're good, but I'd like them in a cocktail or a little ice or they're just too hot. This one was so well balanced, had so many different flavors on the, the bourbon flavor will hit, hit all the checkpoints it was really perfect for me and I, I haven't had that out of a booker's batch in a long time and so i thought it was a uh, really good under the radar probably not under the radar because it's bookers but under the radar for me because i typically don't gravitate towards bookers me and you have the
1: same exact theory on and strategy coming up with these things because I was scrolling through our whiskey cookies <laughs> trying to
2: figure out, like, what did we hope we taste this past year? I'm so glad we document this stuff like that because I'm not going to be able to remember everything. Well, that I was like, I in Kentucky, that was excellent, you know, this, uh, you know, but you can't say those because. It's not under the radar exactly. I, I thought Booker's tag along was actually pretty good. I had that
1: as well. I was going to say it in case somebody stole my Chattanooga, so it all it all worked. That's out. why you went first. <laughs> so you had a backup. <laughs> jump nice. into this quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I got to make sure I get my two cents in. I'm always the one asking questions. But let's go ahead. We'll kind of wrap it up with our our sort of last question. This is more of like a cultural thing. As I'd mentioned, I mentioned, I I see scrolling through some of the Facebook forms, and every once in a while there will be a question, and it gets a lot of laugh emojis or thumbs up or 400 comments. And this one actually had quite a few. And this said, what would you do if your favorite retailer had to start selling their allocations at secondary prices? Would you keep shopping with them or would you find another store to purchase from?
5: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting interesting question. I think it comes back to at the end of the day, it's a reminder, right? If they're going, it, it's business. So if they're going to treat you well, they're going to make sure a bottle set aside for you. If you've been loyal to them, they'll be loyal to you. If they're no longer going to be loyal to you due to whatever reason they need to do to raise the prices, then you shouldn't feel an obligation to feel loyal to them anymore either. right? You can still support them how you want, but feel free to branch out to other local stores in your area. Or you know maybe you just go find a brand new store in the metaverse and just start shopping around there. So- <laughs> the
1: metaverse. I'm uh, <laughs> bringing that up. Anybody that doesn't know, you can start Googling it now. It's a whole new world we got to get involved in. But... Yeah, no, I think it's that's you bring a good point there, Jordan. There's definitely something to be said about, you know, making sure you stay loyal to them. But there's also something to be said this that's like I have spent my last five years building up a relationship here and I'm not ready to flush it down the toilet yet. So even if I spend maybe I'll, I'll try to talk them down sometimes, maybe 20 to 30 percent over retail. So I don't know if I would jump off right away until I try to do some negotiation tactics
4: yeah I, I mean, i I can see both sides of this, so I don't want to come out too far in one way or the other. But um you know, as the retailer, it, if the gas station jacks the prices up to five dollars a gallon, you're still going to buy gas because you just kind of assume that's the case and you're not going to get it anywhere else. and it's going to be that price. But, you know, bourbon being a premium product, we're kind of expect these retailers to to price it at the msrp and a lot of times that's just not realistic and so you know you kind of have i don't know it's it's a dilemma on your hands because especially if you're the retailer it's like well you don't know if they had to buy a bunch of other products if they had to you you know have all these guarantees so they've got this cost sunk into this product and then they need to recoup that price and or that money invested to get those bottles um so it's, it's a two-edged sword i mean i'd say hopefully people aren't leaving because of that but then i look at secondary prices and i think who is paying you know a thousand dollars for an older 10 year these days but people pay it so hopefully retailers aren't doing that anytime soon but i think you kind of got to understand what the retailer is going through as well um there's lots of pressure from distributors and brands and everybody else to take a lot of products and uh you know hit certain sales goals just to get some of these limited products and bottles, so maybe we show them a little grace here and there on uh, some of the pricing. But um, that's not the popular answer, so I, I know that.
5: Well, I, you know, I case. think there's there's nothing wrong either, Blake, with folks if they wanna if they see other stores in their area selling a six dollar bottle for six hundred, if they want to do that, that's completely fine, and I don't think anyone would hold that against them. But at the same token, then they shouldn't hold any of their customers right they shouldn't hold against any other customers then say well okay then i'm going to shop around too it's a it's a two-edged sword that's that way too
0: here's the deal sorry i don't mean to cut you off brian but blake said something very very unique in that like uh only a retailer can say and it's like have some compassion for the retailer and it's not a popular opinion it (laughs) is it well it's it's not a popular opinion because you know you can't state an opinion about this on social media about without one side or the other saying, "Well, I'm just an independent retailer trying to make it, and you don't get it," uh, or the consumer saying, "Like, you know, you're price gouging or whatever." But here's the here is the here's the solution: there are retailers all across this country who get that allocation, and they just call up five or six customers. That person comes in and they buy the Pappy, they buy the Blantons, they buy the Weller. They don't have to deal with the hassles. Uh, And like that person who is making the business decision to put it behind a glass case for whatever number, they could have done that uh, with a phone call to someone who would pay that without having to go through the embarrassing process that is playing out every single day on social media Someone walks in, hey, Pappy here for a sick $5,000. Oh, you know, and everyone tags that person. It's just, I mean, these people are in business. And if you want to be in business any longer, you're going to have to make smart business decisions. Now, you can sell all the fireball at the front you want for a quarter or all the vodka you want. But at the end of the day, the trends of alcohol are going toward premium. And if you cannot figure out how to handle the sale of premium bourbon or cognac or arm neck or whatever, well, I'm sorry, but the the way that this world is, you're not going to be in business. You got to come up with a better solution than putting it behind a glass case and selling it for $2,000, unless that's the SRP. And it has nothing to do with feelings or protecting consumers, It has to do with smart business decisions. And I recently wrote about or did a video about this. There is no legal recourse that a consumer or a distiller has to keep that person from jacking up the prices. You can thank the Supreme Court for that due to price fixing schemes from distillers in the 40s, 50s and 60s. But there is nothing that that we can do. So The the law of economics is going to play out and these people are going to go out of business if they cannot figure out how to properly handle this, because all you got to do, pick up the phone, call one or two customers and they're gone. You don't have to deal with the problem and you're going to have one or two very happy customers. As for what I would do, I mean, you know, I might see that bottle in there and I might feel bad for them. And I might actually buy a bottle of maker's mark and just go and then never go back. It's that simple. I mean, I, I just think this is this this is it pisses me off, to be frank. I don't know if you could tell. We but can't tell. No. I'm I on a I little just, bit thicker if you can.
3: These uh,
2: yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> his, his amen to all turning. of that. Face is turning yeah. like his hat. <laughs> that's
3: right. A- amen to all that. My thought was also that I'll I'd, I'd just go get an old foe 1920 and never go back. I mean, that's, you know, why bother at that point? The other thing I was going to bring up that I thought was hilarious, it was just this past week. Worse than this question, I saw a post from a, un, the, a store that I will not publicly humiliate. They paired Blanton's with Wheatley Vodka, and it was their package post, and you had to buy the damn Wheatley Vodka to get the Blanton's, and I'm thinking, people, people don't do it. Just fell right into the trap. Hook, line, and
1: sinker right there. Well, that yeah. was a
4: Fred Minnick special, I think, is what they were selling. <laughs> <Yeah. on. laughs>
1: if I remember that store correctly. If I remember, <laughs> isn't, that what, isn't that what VIP tickets got you to yeah. that? That's right. <laughs> it should be coming in the mail relatively soon.
0: You know what's funny about that? I, I don't know if that wasn't strategic as a thumb in the eye to raise awareness about. It. I mean, Brian, I don't know if that was necessarily uh, to get them to sell the bottles of Wheatley. I mean, that really? could have been... That could have been a situation where they're buying it, and be like, oh yeah, we have. In order for us to have this, we have to we have to carry that. I mean, that could so, have been a very strategic way to like, you know, put a thumb in the eye of the people who made them do that.
3: Really, that's that's a lot of forethought before that. That that'd be impressive. You're right. We're,
0: are you are oh. you saying that liquor stores don't have that kind of forethought there, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: Depends they're who it is. They're trying to move, They're trying to move that
2: inventory. They're like, get yeah. this shit out of here. Put I mean, the it's, it's true because if you can move the volume,
1: that's where the, that's where you start getting more stuff. I've talked to another retailer as well. He's like, "Hey, what if we did this? What if we were able to do a few barrel picks with you, and then I would sell all of our Wheatley vodka at wholesale plus a nickel, and everybody could just order as much as they want. That way, it looks like I'm running through inventory. Like I don't care about making money on it, but at the end of the year, it looks really good on my sales numbers. So there there might be something there." Well, that's I mean, that's a pretty, you know,
4: open fact. But I mean, at least here in Florida, I know for 100 percent certainty, you know, barrel picks with Buffalo Trace are connected to Wheatley sales. And if those go up, your allocations of Pappy and everything else goes up. So does your barrel pick opportunities and everything else. So, um, I mean, I know that's technically not legal i'm sure they won't uh you know openly say it but it's like that pretty open secret that everybody knows about so you know they may have been onto something at their retail shop
1: so at the end of the day we can all just agree jordan had the right answer is that what it comes down to
2: okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> i will never agree yeah. to that you I... <laughs> I would just i would just you know doing these crazy it's short-term thinking and it's not very uh like being in business, you you have to think long term about what kind of customer I want, and do I want them? Okay, yeah, I might make a thousand dollars off a guy one time, but I'd rather have somebody I'm going to make fifty bucks off every week. You know, that's and and I have a relationship with it. And I I don't know. There, there's just too much short term thinking in some in some business models, and and I'm not on board with that. I, I like relationships. I like long-term customers that are going to spend, they might not spend more at you at once, but they are over the lifetime. You know, every business, every business would say lifetime value of a customer. And that's what I would look at is, you know, what's important.
0: That's exactly right. And I think I would like to preface everything that I said before, give a caveat of like, I respect those that mark up everything because that's your business model. And you're willing to be in the market with that. What bothers me is when you have someone who undercuts like uh Maker's Mark or Jack Daniels or you know, against the liquor store across the street, undercuts that, but then jacks up uh, you know, the premium stuff. That that shit bothers me. I have a lot more respect for Justin's House of Bourbon, which has the model of of going and you know, buying things it, you know, from individuals and then marking it up because those are that's how they can realize a
2: profit on it because they're paying more than they would from a distributor, and they're very um, transparent too. That's a big difference. Very transparent, yeah. Trans- but they'd also tell you their biggest selling brands are you know twenty to thirty dollar bottles too. Yeah, you know in the I mean, stores. It's,
4: well, that's what it, I think they have some of it, something for everything if you go in the store.
0: Yeah, I, I just think that it's not a matter of having high prices; it's the sleaze behind the high prices and a lot of those places undercut the uh, a lot of other products and you know they just get people in the door so uh, i've said my piece i'm going to drink some of uh it, by the way blake you did a really good job with the with the toast and i'm just having this it's got like a really nice pecan quality to it i'm really digging it thank still, you still waiting to come on
1: patch
4: 2 coming soon <laughs>
1: yeah it was good i agree excellent it flew so under the radar that we didn't even talk about it.
4: Man, talk about missed self promotion there. I should have been <laughs> <laughs> promoting Sealbox Private Reserve, uh, you know. But oh well.
1: We got to keep it under the radar even more. We don't. We don't need the world to know about it, Blake. That's why. <laughs> all right well guys thank you so much this is a fantastic conversation we hit a lot of good things we talk about some bottles we talk about some cultural topics and for anybody that's watching this during repeal day if you want to find out and be a part of more of these make sure you come and check out bourbon pursuit wherever you get your podcast follow us there make sure that you're subscribed there we do these roundtables once a month and we bring just a good bunch of topics that we take and, and we kind of give some expert and maybe not so expert opinions on but mostly pseudo expert. But before we sort of wrap up here, I want to give the guys down here one more chance and opportunity to give a shout out of where you can find out more about them. And Brian, I'll let you go first.
3: All right. Happy repeal day, everybody. Uh, Brian with Sippin' Corn. Find me at Sippin' Corn and Bourbon Justice on all the socials. This has been a good one, guys. Thanks.
5: For sure. Jordan. Thanks for watching and listening all. This is Jordan, one of the three guys from Breaking Bourbon, bourbon breakingbourbon.com. Check us out whenever you're in a liquor store deciding what to buy.
4: Blake from uh, Sealbox and Bourboner, guys, always fun. Um, wish we could do it more often, but you, you know, once every three weeks is probably enough.
1: So, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Happy Repeal Day! Very true. Uh, happy Repeal Day, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Make sure you subscribe to Bourbon Pursuit wherever you get your podcasts. Also follow us on all your social media channels as well. With that, cheers, everybody, and we'll see you all next week. Fuck it sucks. Cheers. Toodles.